Hello to my favorite people on the planet, how's it going game devs and game lovers? This is the boy who makes games, and you're now listening to the second episode of the Game Dev Podcast. This is GDP, the Game Dev Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Is that is that a corny intro? Because I think it's very corny, but I don't care. It's good, I like it, I made it. Uh, so, in today's podcast, we're going to talk about um, systemic games or systemic game design. And to demonstrate the importance of the matter to you, I really have to think about how to present it to you for the first time. So, before I start talking about systemic games, I got to really talk about podcast first so i really really wish that someone was here with me while recording this podcast so we could interact and make make this podcast much more interesting to listen to but if if you can help me if we can have a discord call while while doing this podcast that would be very lovely so yeah you can find me on twitter on at sign tb who makes games the boy who makes games and the boy who makes games everywhere is my handle so yeah there is that and let's get back to the topic of this episode so to present to you for the first time the subject of systemic games i've come up with this um, with this title and the title is Why Breath of the Wild is Amazing and How Other Games Can Implement It. So if you've ever played Zelda Breath of the Wild, you know it's goddamn amazing, right? And it's because of the systems. It's because of the way of the game design. It's systemic game design. So to really, really help you understand the connection between Breath of the Wild and systemic game design and why we say that um, Breath of the Wild has a systemic game design and is a systemic game, we really need to start talking about the systemic game design itself. So yeah, let's, let's do that. And for those of you who say Breath of the Wild was not fun, fuck you. Breath of the Wild was the best game ever. Maybe not the best game ever, but it was definitely fun. So, yeah, let's dive into the topic of systemic game design. So the big question here, the question that if you answer it, we know what systemic game is, is what systemic game is. I, I, if it doesn't make sense, I'm, I'm sorry, but let me, let me ask it this way. The question is, what games do we call systemic and what games do we call progressive? And don't mistake it, a game can be both systemic and progressive, but usually these two things are on the opposite sides of each other. So uh, we have two types of game basically in this division. Um, The ones that are progressive are the ones that you have to do certain things, go through a certain narrative, and be a part of narrative. And you don't have any choices of your own. You're just following some interactive narrative. So this is the far end of a progressive game. But there are games that 
you uh, you are in control of a system. And this system that you're in control can be um, cooperating and interacting with other systems in the game that you don't control, but uh, they're affecting each other in some way. So yeah, this is a systemic game, like uh, you can say Doodle Jump, Doodle Jump, or any endless game that is out there is somehow a systemic game because in Doodle Jump, for example, you are in charge of the jumping system, which is interacting with other systems in the game and these systems affect each other and yet you're in control of one system here. So this is a systemic game. Although in Doodle Jump the systems are, um, there's a few of them. There's a few of the systems in the game and they're, they're very simple. And the interaction between them is very simple. In Breath of the Wild, however, we see so many systems I can't even count how many of them are there but yet there are so many of them they're really really interacting so much with each other and affecting each other and you are in control of the system of your character there and you have to uh, tweak and change your own system uh, according to the interactions between your system and other systems and the effects that you can create just by controlling just only merely your own system. You have to achieve a specific outcome as the goal of the game. So, yeah, that's interesting. But the question here is, why is it interesting? One of you guys out there is like, well, what kind of dumb question is that? It's interesting because it's a game. And the answer to that is, no dumb fuck. A lot of games are not interesting like your own game. Like my games, sometimes. They're not interesting. And systems, complicated systems, they're interesting in by their own. You don't need to add anything else to a complete to a complicated system that you can tweak. It's already a toy by itself. So why is it interesting? Because complicated systems like Breath of the Wild, they imitate life. Yeah, baby, they imitate life. How? Let's see. Um, what, what is life, really? Um, life is a complicated system that, is con that consists of other systems. So many systems. And you are in charge of your own system. You can only control your own system. And your own system only. You can control your system in a way that manipulates other systems and gets the one result out of them. But since you can do so many things, so many different things with your own system, and since it's a very complicated system, and since you're not controlling the other systems directly, it's going to be a real challenge to find the right balance of doing things optional things to get that one result out of other systems and yeah ladies and gentlemen that's called life we all we all know what it is um life is hard but life is also interesting it's fun 
So when a game imitates life and is not real, the consequences are not real there. But the pleasures are kind of real. It's going to be really interesting. So yeah, that's how Breath of the Wild imitates life, how systemic games imitate life. And yeah, that's all. Now we know the answer to that question and we know why they're interesting and why they're fun. So let's talk about Breath of the Wild a little bit more. Um, if you've ever played it, you know that when it rains, there there is the weather system. So the weather system changes the weather. And sometimes it rains. And when it rains, uh, big puddles, big and small puddles, and sometimes lakes appear on the map that you can use as water source. And that's the water system. And the water system interacts with other system. So rain creates some water system. And rain makes climb climbable climb climbable climbable things <laughs> rain makes climbable things slippery and it makes it harder to climb and rains uh, puts out fire and yeah that's rain system that that is just one tiny small part of the system of the game when it rains all of these things happen and you can, you can use rain, and you can get hit by the rain. So yeah, that's that's a small sneak peek into the system. There are so many other systems in the Breath of the Wild that interact with each other and affect the game in a huge way, and make the game interesting, of course. But um, what this systemic game design brings to the game is flexibility. And flexibility is interesting because it adds to the replayability of the game and it gives you multiple choices. It gives you space to really, really um, express yourself. And there is no one and only solution to problems in the game. Just like life. Just like life. You have so many options. You can be yourself. You can have your own way of intelligence. I can really engage in fights. I don't know how to fight in Zelda, but I'm really sneaky. Or I don't know how to handle a sword, but I'm really good with my bow. I know systems. I know how bow works and I know how to leverage my bow power to achieve the results that I want. So yeah. Another good example of systemic game design would be Spore. In the second phase of Spore, uh, if you've ever played the game, it's an awesome game, you have to try it. In the second phase, you have two choices. You can have, you can develop an adversarial attitude towards other species, or you can choose to be friend to them. So you can really, really express yourself, your soul, your mind in this game and yeah that that's a good option for the players that really makes them have fun but another thing that i told you that the systemic game systemic games have um not a another property that they have is 
replayability. And why is that? Why a progressive game is less replayable than a systemic game? Um, let's see. In a progressive game, you have to follow a linear, linear story, a pre-written, scripted, and designed. And everything is just at the right place, and you have to just follow a story. You have to interact with the story. You cannot change anything. You cannot change the outcome. If you can, it is scripted. It is what is scripted. So yeah, you have very few choices, if any.、Um, and yeah, that reduces the replayability because once you've played at all, you know every possible outcome of this game, if it has multiple outcomes.、Um, but on the other hand, on the other side, on the other hand, I don't know how this phrase works. I'm gonna just assume it's in the other hand. So, in the other hand,、um, a systemic game shows you so many possibilities. And look at chess. Look at the goddamn chess. The guy who invented this game was a genius game designer, boy. It's a very old game. Maybe it was in- invented by God. I don't know. If someone said. Chess was invented by God. I would really, really like that. I would agree with that. But、um, what chess is is a big, very big system, which is con- which consists of so many smaller systems, and each one of these systems interact with each other in some way. And each one of these systems is very, very simple, right? So, yeah, the, the, the small systems are very simple, but when you multiply the simplicity of each one of these with with each of the others, it creates a very big probability space. Like, yeah, it it really gets complicated. The chess has so many possibilities, and people have been playing chess. Like how many a thousand years now? Maybe I'm I'm not really sure. I'm just guessing, but it it still has replayability, man. It still has replayability. Like, can you imagine how many times Gary Kasparov has played chess? It's still new to him. There are still probabilities. There are still game states that he hasn't seen. The guy. Who is the master of chess? Hasn't seen all the possibilities on, on this game, so yeah, it has replayability, and all the other systemic games that give you so many choices that are consist that that consist of. I I always make a mistake when I want to use the word consist. All the other games that are con- that consist <laughs> that consist of small, simpler systems, they get so complicated that you can be playing them always and never get bored of them. You can get bored of them, but it never gets repetitive. You can always find something new in those games.
So, yeah, they're replayable. So, yeah, we've talked about how systemic games are lifelike, how they're replayable, how they bring flexibility to the players. And another property to systemic games is content generation. Yeah, systems can generate new things. That's right, systems can generate new things. But how? Systems have certain rules and they have certain states. And the states get changed by the rules. The next state is produced, is a product of these two inputs, the current state and the rules. So the rules can, can really take the system and the state and change them forever like yeah they can generate content and a subject that this talk brings up is cellular automata what what these things are you have to really search them cellular automata but if i want to talk about it i gotta say imagine a square this square can be turned on and off so it can be active or disabled um, we have a bunch of these squares on a cross table let's let's say a 10 by 10 cross table which means a uh, hundred of these squares and these squares have certain rules to them the rules of, are like if um, if two if let's say if one or more of the adjacent squares are on it turns you on <laughs> yeah it turns you on you may be saying what 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 kind of sick corrupts a square loving pervert gets turned on by square you sick bastard and I agree, but <laughs> bear with me here for a second. I'm trying to demonstrate something for you. So, if one or more adjacent squares are on, you get turned on. And if three or more of them are turned on, you'll die of overcrowdedness. So, you can really be alive, you can... So squares turn on when there is only one or two adjacent turned on squares. So if we give an initial state to this cross table, we turn on some random squares and play the and click the play button. This this thing is gonna get really complicated. Can you really? Um, can you really anticipate what's going to happen in the system? No, it's going to be hard. It's going to be complicated. The system is so simple. It is, it is made of smaller, simpler systems. But the whole system, all these systems, when, it, when they come together, they, they bring a complexity that was never there before. So... I don't know what I was talking about when I started talking about these squares, but yeah, 
the, the systems can generate content. So you can use this system, you can use these squares, and you can say, I'll play this, I play this cross table of squares. I let them do their job, do apply their rules for 100 times. So after 100 times of applying these rules to those random, randomly selected and turned on squares on this 10 by 10 cross table, um, the outcome, the end state is not going to be predictable. But it's going to be something random but not totally random. You can search for Wolfram Cellular Automata. It has some sort of some sort of order in it, but it has a chaos too. And that's how life works again. It has some sort of order. You cannot but but you cannot anticipate things because it has some sort of chaos too. So, yeah, you can use this 10 by 10 cross table. You can run it for 100 times, for 100 steps. And after that, and you can use this totally random but affected by some order state to generate a map or generate some sort of enemies or behaviors or whatever you like. The point here is that you can generate content using systemic game design. You can bring chaos with some order to your games. And it's going to be really, really interesting. And it has a... It, it is some sort of a science major. It's called um, complexity science. Complexity, com complexity theory. Yeah, complexity theory. You can search it up. There is a very good website that really scientifically, mathematically talks about these kind of things with detail. You don't have to know so many details about them. You have to just implement the philosophy of systemic game design to see its effects and benefit from it. So yeah, systemic games can generate content like crazy. They never get old. I'm sorry for interrupting the podcast. I really, really hate it when someone interrupts my podcast. But yeah, I really want you to know that um, I have a YouTube channel and you should check it out. Yeah, The Boy Who Makes Games. Also, you can follow me on Twitter, TB Who Makes Games, and you can follow me on Instagram, The Boy Who Makes Games. Anywhere that I exist, I exist with the name The Boy Who Makes Games. Sorry for interrupting the podcast. Let's get back to the podcast. Um, the next thing that we need to talk about is the necessity of entropy in systems. Why would you want chaos in your system? As a wise man once said, chaos is a ladder. <laughs> yeah, as a wise man once said, chaos is a ladder. They really, really fucked the last season of that series up, right? Come on, I'm talking about Game of Thrones, people. Don't you watch series? That's a very, very popular series. You need to watch it. You need to watch it. It's a, some big part, a big chunk of pop culture today. So, yeah, chaos is a ladder. Chaos can be a ladder, but also it can be a fall. It can be 
a very deep well for you to fall into. So whatever it is, people tend to like it. So we're going to add it to our game. And people are going to like it because uh, the outcome of chaos can be very good or very bad. And that somehow has some interesting aspect to it. People like it when they can get fucked up or they can really grow. They can get really big. Like in Rust, you have a bow and you attack someone with with gun. That's total chaos. You don't know what you're doing. You're not in control of the system. You're just trying so hard to be in control. But you're really not in control. You are in chaos in some way. Some people are in control. Like pro players are in control. But for normal people, you're not in control. You're just trying so hard to be in control. So your opponent has a gun and you have a bow. You're attacking them. They're attacking you. You can get fucked up. You can die and lose everything. But on the other hand, who can win and have guns? You just had bull. It, it's it's going to be worth it. But you can really get fucked up on the other hand. So it's on the other hand. Sorry. for <laughs> On the other hand. So when I'm not thinking about the phrase, I use it, I use it correctly. But when I think about it, when I overthink it, I really fuck it up. So, yeah. That's interesting because I can really fuck it up. (laughs) That's the point. You can get fucked up in chaos, but you can really grow. So that's why chaos is interesting. Like in match three games, sometimes there is a situation that is chaotic in some way, but is enjoyable because the chaotic act is not always negative. Chaos is a ladder. In match three games sometimes when you match three when you score um, the new candies or whatever they are in your game when the new candies fall down um, they automatically the three of those new coming down candies automatically match and bingo another score and it against it, it against falls and generates random candies and again three of those match and bam and again three of them bam and another time and another time and this pattern goes on for 20 steps it's very chaotic but it's super enjoyable on the other hand sometimes it can get fuck you up like if you yeah if you match three of those candies and something very bad a bad pattern happens there uh, it gets your it gets your situation to a dead like you can't do anything and yeah that happens but yeah that's chaotic that's entropy but it's necessary in game design in necessary games it can be interesting and it can be really really fucking bad but people tend to enjoy that People tend to enjoy new things. People tend to enjoy new possibilities. People tend to enjoy walking on that thin edge. So, yeah, maybe add that to your game. And that Sometimes it really happens naturally when you design a systemic game. 
the entropy is there by itself. You don't need to think about it. You don't need to add it. Sometimes the systems randomly interact with each other in a way that um, brings chaos. They um, they continually continually uh, tend to trigger each one in a bad or good way. That is fun. Fun to watch either way because the consequences are not real. You've just lost time. You haven't lost your life. So it's fun to watch on a system, on a on a mobile, on a on a computer or whatever or wherever that the consequences are not real there. So yeah, that's fun. Entropy is fun. But how to add entropy and chaos to your system intentionally? That happens when you when you um, empower the connections between systems. When you make the systems, the simpler parts, the smaller systems inside your whole game, inside your biggest system, connect with each other more. This entropy and chaotic behavior. Uh, tends to get bigger and much more powerful. So yeah, add connections to the systems, like the rain in Breath of the Wild that we talked earlier about. It affects so many things. It creates puddles. It makes things slippery. It affects fire and so many goddamn things that I don't remember right now. But the connection is there. The important thing is the connection between the systems. So choose the systems that you want to use in your game design in a way that connects with as many as possible other systems in your game. And that game will be fun to play. So yeah, a few of negative people out there will uh, be like, hey, really, you've talked about systemic game designs. You've mentioned 70 good points, and I agree with them, but it's too good to be true, man. I cannot believe that there's some way of designing games that is this good. What, what are the drawbacks? Come on, be honest to me. Give me the drawbacks of this way of designing games. And they are, they're right. I'm, I hate to say that, but they're right. There are drawbacks to... The systemic approach to game design. And the drawbacks, all of them kind of relate to how hard it is to balance these systems. So yeah, there are so many, many ways that your game can get fucked up when you're designing a systemic game. And... Yeah, finding the right rules that truly serve your game. Finding the right rules for the smaller systems, for the smaller parts, is really hard. It's really hard to test to do. You have to make sure that the rules you choose for your smaller systems, for your sub subsystems, are really serving your game. And the example of fucking this thing up, this situation, 
the example to this situation is Elder Scrolls Oblivion. <laughs> that was a fucked up game and everybody knows it. But it really teaches us a lot about systemic game design. The rules for the NPCs, which are the subsystems, which are the smallest systems in the systemic game, the rules were fucked up. The rules were fucked up, like in some levels. Uh, the guy who you have to interact with them to pass the level were already dead when you reached the level. <laughs> because of the other NPCs that were around them. Like, sometimes uh, stuff happened. Like, in prisons, the prison guards would rob and steal from the prisoners constantly to feed themselves. What? Good question. Because the rules of the NPCs, rules of those prison guards were fucked up, were not balanced. The game designer wasn't sure that these rules were serving the game. He just thought it would be cool to add these rules. But yeah, they really fucked the game up. <laughs> I love that game though. It was a fun game. But by fun, I don't mean <laughs> it was a comic game. So yeah. Another drawback to systemic game design is software engineering challenges. It's really, really hard to code those systems and those interactions between them and design a software solution for, for specific types of systems. It's really hard. It's just, it's just hard. You have to design the software solution for this game in a way that won't be problematic in future updates, future feature addings, and it has to work. So yeah, that's a big challenge for systemic games. They are complicated games. Coding them is hard. And also, another thing is systemic games. Another drawback to systemic games is um, they kind of must be planned. They kind of must work in a wanted way. But they kind of have to be chaotic. And finding the balance here, finding the right rules again, is really hard. So, yeah, it's hard to design and make a systemic game. Uh, but if you make a systemic game, you're going to benefit from it being fun. I'm not saying that making progressive games is not a big challenge. It has... It's own challenges, it's own drawbacks, it's another thing. If you want to touch people's souls and feelings, you have to make a progressive game. Or a combination of progressive and um, systemic game. To really be able to um, draw a picture and make a story happen and touch people's feelings. Don't touch their butts touch their feelings so yeah that's 
That's all I know about systemic game design. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of podcast. And if you have any opinion, any question, you can really share it with me. But if you have negative, <laughs> negative opinions, I'm not really about those. I'm not really about those. If you have a fixation for those negative op- opinions, like you should really turn the volume down when you play music. You should really uh, make another intro. This intro is boring. If you have a fixation, just please share it with me. But if you have a bad opinion, like without any fixations, just a negative opinion, fuck you. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really serious. Fuck you, man. And yeah. That's all. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please make sure to check out my YouTube channel. And yeah, follow the podcast for the new episodes. I'm going to produce new episodes. I like the podcast. I like to talk alone in my room to the wall. Recording it with microphone. And it's just weird, man. It's weird talking to yourself. Gotta be honest with you. It's weird. But I'm willing to do that. I like it. I'm going to do it on a regular basis. So follow the podcast. And until the next episode, have fun, baby. This is GDP, the game, the podcast.